Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. We both are today. Not you're, both Annie. You're Annie. <laughs> right? oh, but today we're gonna cute. today we're gonna talk about what exactly is net zero or something from nothing is something. And huh. I think that's a little variation on what was Billy Preston, I think. I uh, think had, so. I don't know who sang it. It was very popular. Uh, nothing from nothing or something from that. Anyway, all right, all right, all right. So so you tell me <laughs> what what do we mean by net zero? This is one of those buzzwords that gets thrown around. We all say net zero. Okay, but here's here's what you wrote. More and more corporations are promoting their net zero or carbon neutral goals. Is this more corporate greenwashing or is it the real thing? That's good prose. Can yeah. the profit-driven corporate structure really shift to embrace a long-term impact neutral process? And what does net zero really mean? Those are insightful questions with no good answer. So give me no, a good answer. No, there are some good answers. Give me a good answer. So when, when I say or when I hear net zero, I suspect I hear something different than what you hear or okay, what, what other people. Okay, what do you people. hear? I, I hear that it's like, like I told you earlier, it's like pack out what you pack in, right? Leave no trace. Um, we're going to have a life here that has zero impact on the planet when we're gone. That's truly net zero. You won't be even able to tell I was here. That's kind of a true net Well, that's anti-American right off the bat. Well, I know, and, and it, it, it precludes me having a gravestone. That's Ancestry.com is going to hate me on that. <laughs> well, uh, I, I just want to say that it's a, an ancient way of thinking when you say those things, and it really is the way we should be looking at it. But then we wouldn't be going to uh, Target and uh, Walmart all the time for stuff we don't need. So, so what net zero really means is, it's if you think of the word balance. So whatever I'm doing on my with my left hand should equal out what I'm doing on with my right hand. And it's really that simple. Now, what goes in between those two hands is at this point pretty wonky. Um, and we can talk about that, about things like, uh, you know, carpet carbon sequestering and things but but at this point what we're talking about is just really if i'm going to have a business or i'm running my home then however i do that should i should be considering things like who who do i shop with and who do they buy their products from to sell me and how are those products to, uh, uh, secured in order to make this food or this product. It's a, that the book that was very popular quite a while ago, Cradle to Grave with the idea. No, it's Cradle to Cradle. Okay. Well, same difference in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but, but what it, what it really talks about is um, I remember they called it, it back in the, um, back in the early 2000s, feminist economics, because they were talking right. about the fact if you created a plastic jug then you were responsible for that jug for its entire life. I remember back in college, a book, uh, Small is Beautiful. You uh -huh. know, it was that kind of concept. But, but I think we run into, you know, where do you limit your definition? Because you can say, okay, I've got this uh, naturally grown organic fibers that make up these tennis shoes that are manufactured by slave labor in Myanmar, you know, okay. Well, or cotton with five-year-olds in Egypt. Yeah, so you're saying, okay, so... So clearly the product itself is gentle on the planet, but the process 
is harmful to those people who are involved in it. Okay, here's the problem first off. We keep pointing to the individual. We want, the corporations want this to be an individual thing. And as long as they keep us focused on that, like, you know, don't let your pipe leak and, and, and just what you just said, oh, don't bother with the rest of that. Just buy your shoes. Uh, this is not about that. This is about corporations and businesses taking responsibility for net zero, saying that if I'm producing something with the left hand, it's got to equal out somehow in terms of how it influences everything with the right hand. Yeah, but the question is, what are you balancing in there? Are you balancing resources? Are you balancing economics? Are you balancing human rights? Are you balancing um, quality of life? Okay, um, all of that. Yeah. So let's let's so. go let's go back just slightly and let's talk about sustainability. And sustainability is the process of maintaining change in a balanced fashion. So it's a, it's a, talks about exploitation of resources, the direction of your investments as a company, orientation of technological development, institutional change. Is it in harmony and does it enhance both current and future potential to meet human needs and aspirations and also in business to make a living? It's not about getting filthy rich. It's about... Can you sleep at night? Okay, I don't think we can ask that question because if that question actually was important, we wouldn't be where we are. Well, I know when I was a CEO of a company, I mean, I used to tell our managers, I, you know, we'd have these meetings and I kept saying, I don't want to turn this place into a place where I don't want to work. You know, that was one yeah, of but, the guiding But it started with that. And you're a different yeah. kind of person. You're a family person. You're a friendship person. But we still made money. You know, I mean, I a think lot we of made money. money because of that attitude. Yeah. And these companies... Don't they lose sight of the fact that if you're if you're measuring quarter to quarter, you know the world doesn't exist quarter to quarter. The world mm -hmm. exists over over the millennium. So so again, we come back to this net zero as encompassing that fact that you are doing no harm. You know yeah. the seven generations kind of thing. Right, but then that changes everything. So what I want to say is a couple things about sustainable sustainability is how it's kind of grown um and so unesco formulated uh, a, a a distinction they called it the sustainability is often thought of as a long-term goal while sustainable development refers to many processes and pathways to achieve it so there's a thing called the bruntland uh report called our common future in 1987 so that's a while ago no i love government reports all right, but they started talking about sustainable development as uh, meaning that it meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Now, that's pretty loosey-goosey, but it's better than nothing. And then the terms like sustainability and sustainable development have become increasingly more popular, like buzzwords kind of thing. Um, and um, in the 2000s, we started seeing think, phrases like climate change, loss of biodiversity, environmental degradation, and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And yet, nothing really has changed. So sustainability is really about, I think, social challenges, because it does focus on individual lifestyles and ethical consumerism. That's true. But it also focuses on how those those things we consume and those lifestyles we live are maintained so that would be talking about how things are transported how, what what kind of emissions 
um, uh, we're sending out from our own homes and our businesses, talk a lot about sustainable architecture and land use management and all these things that people have just really kind of ignored. But the problem, and I, I can go on more and more about it, I would like to say that the Second Vatican Council, because you know how much I love the Catholics, um, uh -oh, uh -oh, uh -oh. in 1965 actually contained the first reference ever to the concept of sustainability. So that they they kind of threw down the gauntlet there, whatever. I suspect it wasn't the first, but it was at least something that gained some some international powerful. attention. It would have been powerful because right. it's uh, there's a lot of well. People. One question I have is is we talk about net zero, is that even possible when we put growth over top of it? Because doesn't growth basically mean you have to consume resources? in order to grow, in order for whether it's population to grow or, or um, the, the quality of living or the, the you know, incomes to grow. So, so I just intuitively have in my mind that if something is getting larger, then there has to be an input stream that's causing it to get bigger, you know, to get more. Mm -hmm. So are those two things incompatible? Because the other thing I was always taught in business school is as soon as you stop growing, you start dying. So everything is about getting bigger, getting more, getting, okay, getting well, that's better. A, that's a grave error. But I will say that you didn't print out my statistics that I had about the five things that need to happen. Okay, you're flying blind, man. I know it. I know it. But, but one thing that I remember that I think has huge impact, well, several things. One is that that in that there's a, the, De, what was the name of the Deloitte? Deloitte, Deloitte and Touche? Yeah. So they did a, they did a study and uh, this last year and they found out, uh, they did a study with 2000 um, uh, C-suite, they call them, executives or leaders. And, and they were from a cross section of business and media and things and education. And they found a lot of interesting things about what were they focused on. And, and they have been focusing on the fact that uh, we're in an emergency, a global emergency. And that th they had gone from like 63% saying it was important. And in the last eight months uh, um, before they had done the survey, 63% said, it was a, a net zero was yeah. important. Yeah. And, now, and, and we're in a global emergency kind of thing. And 89% eight right. months later. Okay. So everybody's agreeing that it's an answer, issue. It's an issue, but nobody knows what it is. No, they know what it is, but they, <laughs> but they also have games they play with it, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the, the, um, some of the things that they said were important that the executive said were important were like 49% said, um, I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. That's here, all right. Just 99% of all statistics are just made up. So. Yes, I know. I'm not making it up. But anyway, <laughs> so, so, so around a third to a half of them identified five key things. And one of them was the fact that they needed to be uh, refocusing on where they manufacture what they do because they it may be um not conducive to dealing with climate change sure sure yeah uh, well we're seeing that with supply chain issues and i actually right. heard a report recently regarding the covid vaccine and they were saying you know what we need to distribute the the manufacturing of these vaccines um because we found that countries 
as soon as there's a crisis, will say, you know what, we're not exporting any of this. It's staying right yeah, here. Yeah, we need it here. So, so if you need vaccine in Africa, it better be made in Africa. If right. you need solar panels in America, they better be made in America because we cannot rely upon this global supply chain to to deal well with with interruptions or crisis. Right, and I and I think that's going to shove corporations to have to move slightly off of their everything's about we're going to make a lot of money. Well, now they're talking about how do we maximize profit at the same time as minimizing supply chain disruptions. So my guess is, it's it's a very short term kind of philosophical change that's couched under net zero, but really is still. In their, in their holy grail of maximizing profits in the short term. Well, I think there's other issues besides supply chain and COVID. Um, really, I mean, some of it has to do with the, you know, sea rise and all that kind of stuff. Um, another one was that uh, remuneration money that's paid to the people who make the decisions in a company uh, or a business, um, it should be tied to how well they're doing with adapting to climate uh, change and it should be tied to, and also monies that they give to lobbying and politics should be tied to climate adaptation and um, and net zero uh, work. Well, employees have always been able to, you know, it's always been shown very well that if you tie compensation to something that can be measured, those employees are going to try and maximize their compensation by, you know, going for those numbers. So so how do you develop? I mean, something like climate change is so nebulous that you say, all right, if the world doesn't end, um, you're going to get a bonus. You know, I mean, that becomes, you know, or, or parts per million of carbon within the atmosphere or our emissions from our particular plant. I mean, it always gets into the devils in the details. And how do we, how do we get into that? Before we get into that, let me just uh, let everybody know that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. All right. So, so I, I guess I'm, you're trying to point out that these companies are, are motivated to, to go for a net zero lifestyle. Some, some. And I'm saying it's probably just the same old BS and they're really motivated by how much money I personally make this quarter. That's the okay, thing that Okay, well, I, do, I, I don't dispute that there's a lot of that still. You know, we're talking about a third to half of the um, 2,000 businesses that they interviewed. But, but the disparity... And where you're, where what you're saying is possibly true is that there is a disparity between their thinking about impact and their thinking about outcome. It's like denial, but they've been getting pinched quite hard. Um, they've been pinched quite hard uh, through COVID and, um, and through the fact that uh, they admit, there's a high percentage of them admit that they, their business has been uh, negatively influenced by climate change. So climate change is the one defining moment, I think, here where they don't have a choice. You know, 
they absolutely don't have a choice when things, the wildfires are burning down their businesses or people decide after COVID they're not going to um, spend their life working uh, just to live, that they want to live and working is just a part of that. And that's a big cultural change that is happening right now and it's going to get more so. So if that's the case, businesses have to be more invested in their employees, more invested in their community that they live in more invested in not having their building flooded or burned down, um, interrupting, you know, the satellite feed for their, their business of shipping. There's all these things that really are coming in to make one smashing, it's like they're all coming from different angles and they're all going to come together around the same time and people are not going to have a choice. Well, I'm worried though. It's like the CEO getting a heart attack and then sitting there in the hospital going, oh, you know what, um, I'm going to focus on those things that are more important. Uh, I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to hug my children more. And as soon as they feel better, it's back to the same old behavior because there is no overriding pressure to, to change those behaviors that are so ingrained. So I'm hoping the overriding pressure is this generation of millennials who are coming up going, you know what, I don't want to be a cog in your machine. I, I don't want to live to work. Instead, I, you know, I want, I want a life. I, I'm, you know, and maybe that's I'm buying into the hype of of whatever that generation is trying to put out because everybody in their twenties says that, and then they get a mortgage and get married and have three kids, and then they decide to yell at the other kids to stay off their lawn. You All know? right, I just want to point out that people are not going to have an option. Because all these systems, like we say in the middle of the podcast, it's the end of the world as we know it. And thank God, because it is. These, every system is irreparably broken. And it's just pretending to work. And people, it's like people placing value on the dollar when the dollar has no value. As long as they continue to place value on it, it, it will have it. But at some point, it may completely fall apart. So all these things are working like you like to say, well, something's happening over here, something else is happening over there. And all of these things are going to come crashing together. And they sort of did that with COVID. But then it's like you say, we sort of backed off a little bit like, oh, we're not locked down anymore. So we're going to go shop, 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 shop. And this is not a good thing. But at some point, we run out of things we can shop for, or we run out of the ability to do the shopping because that products can't show up. And these businesses are going to have to move off of their everything's about how much money I make. They just cannot stop global warming and they can wish it away. Like they'll say uh, with net zero, you know, they're going to have a carbon portfolio. And in this portfolio, they're going to show things like how they, um, how, how their suppliers and, and other businesses that they deal with are doing with, um, with being zero, net zero. And so they're going to do all these kind of cool things that um, make that happen. And then, um, and then they're going to have to like equal out everything. And one of the ways that they are pretending to equal things out is uh, by sequestering carbon, which is baloney. And so they're... Okay. All right. Well, you can't just say it's baloney. All right. Just I mean... wait. I'm about to explain why it's baloney. So what they're doing is saying, like, they might say somebody who has a thousand acres of forest land, okay, we're going to pay you so much per acre. And the way it works is it's kind of like a, um, 
a lottery and the purse or an auction, maybe that's better. And uh, the person says, I want so much an acre. And then they float that out there. And there are brokers that do that for you if you want, or you can go to different webs. There are a couple of different nonprofits that will do this with you and help you find a buyer. So you're talking about carbon offsets. Yes. So, yeah. And we talked about this earlier um, before the, before this broadcast and and yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where you look at the system as a whole and you say, okay, I'm, I'm causing a problem over here, but I'm going to offset it with something over here. And that's fine if you are adding to the benefits of the whole system. Uh, unfortunately, we're in a time right now where they're mostly just allocating existing benefits. You know, you've got, but it's just virtual. It's pretending. It's it is. It is to a point because if I've got a hundred thousand acres of forest uh, over here that is absorbing some of the carbon within the atmosphere, I might be a business polluting, and I want to allocate a certain number of those to my business. Well, I just did nothing. I did absolutely nothing because those forests already existed. But if it begins to then impact and create and maintain forests that otherwise would have been destroyed or non-existent, then the system begins to make progress. Okay, so I might be confused, but what I was told is it has to do with the fact that, okay, that forest is sitting there potentially with all those trees and then when they cut it down, that's when the carbon is sequestered. No, 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 no. When you cut it down, that's when, when the carbon is released. No, it's the maintaining, the growing of the forest is actually sequestering that the carbon. That isn't how the forester explained it well, to me. Well, then, then, then they were wrong or, or you I were I thought to that. myself, oh my God, why would we cut down the tree? No, no, no. Because, well, and what he's saying, and it, it may have been the but issue wait, he of- he says it's held then forever because it's going to go into a piece of furniture or whatever. If it does, but often it's burned and then it's released or it decays and it's released. But some people will argue that a, a young forest is actually absorbing more carbon than an old growth forest because those trees aren't growing as much. They're not absorbing as much carbon dioxide. But a young tree is pulling that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and creating wood fiber. So, so there is some argument there. But I guess that's getting a little bit off track is we say, okay, if those forests would have been chopped down, but by by Monsanto saying we have now bought 100,000 acres of carbon uh, forests to, to, and, and it prevents them from being cut down. That's, that's a good thing. Now, Monsanto is not a good thing, but the fact that they preserve those forests is a good thing. I'm just saying if you already had all these forests and now you're just divvying up who gets to claim credit for it, it does absolutely nothing. Right. And that's what's happening. So yeah. let me let me move on just slightly here before we run out of time. So um, decarbonizing the built environment, which all buildings that exist, um, found that 18% of organizations have an action plan for their real estate portfolio. And that they, much of that um, focused on a new state-of-the-art building that would achieve higher sustainability certifications, which that does not make sense to me. And 70% of buildings that exist today will still be here in 2050. So highlighting the need to repurpose, and this is where we really need to be, the spaces that already exist, retrofit older buildings, and refurbish in line with circular economy principles. And that's where we need to be. So they yeah, created- Using what you already have is the most sustainable thing. They also found that sustainable homes, which have, you know, 
insulated windows and solar panels and whatever um, can sell for as much as 9% more than those that are less energy efficient. And that's all they seem to be focusing on. <laughs> Resale uh, value? Yeah. Um, so they're saying their green building principles cover five key areas. And I just wanted to talk about real estate for one second because uh, that seems like such an obvious thing where we keep just tearing down these buildings that could be rehabbed and repurposed or reused. We keep building new stuff that looks like, I don't know, Barbie doll building. So good puff of wind's going to blow it away. Plastic, 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 and two befores where there ought to be four by fours. But anyway, that's another story. So they're saying, first of all, adopting a data-driven approach. So one of the first steps is knowing exactly what needs to be addressed. So businesses need to calculate a robust carbon footprint for their portfolios. Um, well, you can't and, fix a thing until you can measure a thing. Right. And then that would help them be informed about how to create targets for net zero. Uh -huh. Then setting goals along the journey. So it's important that companies set target years for achieving net zero carbon as part of their longer term strategy and that it needs to be no later than 2050. Well, that seems way, <laughs> needs way, to be no later than 1987. That's right. <laughs> and so, but they say that, um, uh, that, re that the interim targets can reduce at least 50% of the emissions by 2030 if people get serious. The third one is tackling embodied carbon. So they say businesses need to maximize emission reduction for all new developments and major uh, refurbishments. And um, so that they can demonstrate that they're working towards net, uh, net carbon, net zero carbon by the final target year. And so they want to seek businesses that will measure and record those emissions. And the World Green Building Council estimates that that'll account for half of the entire carbon footprint of new construction between now and 2050. All right. So what, what you're saying, I just keep being reminded, and I know I'm going to butcher this quote from, from Obama, but he used to say things like, the the trajectory is history is long, but it leans towards justice. And I'm thinking like the trajectory of history is, the trajectory of history is long, but it leans towards progress. You know, we're, we, it seems glacially slow, but, but we do make progress over, over time, over centuries, over millennia. And, and what we're seeing right now is technology is helping us with energy. We're seeing renewable energy becoming more and more a factor and getting away from fossil fuels. We're seeing the transportation industry moving from petroleum-based to electrically-based. And if that electricity comes from renewables, that's a good thing. That's progress. Uh, not 100% not good, but still progress. Now you're saying, okay, now the building industry is one of these areas where we need to take a net zero carbon neutral approach to all of the construction that we do. And, and that has to do with repurposing of, of buildings, has to be like green concrete type uh, techniques. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different sustainable building techniques that have been ignored because everybody says, let's build it cheap, use well, it up and, and, and throw it away. Yeah. So, so it goes back to what you said about, you know, studying business and how we're supposed to like constantly be uh, making more, doing more. And I think that this is a good demonstration of, of that we don't have to do that. This is saying, let's look at our inventory and let's figure out how we make that inventory work. 
without going out and making new inventory. But they're still going to be needing building materials and engineers and architects and lots of people that have skills, electricians and carpenters, because they need innovation. And that's where the thinking, teaching people to think is going to come in. Because without that, and this is not in this net zero, <laughs> it says we need to teach people how to be creative and think. And that's how the growth is going to and come about. And we need about. to value more than just just short-term profit, you know. So, okay. All right. Well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, thinking about the future. We want to thank our always uh, engaged producer, Adam Rich. <laughs> and we Adam. want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother probably told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... She actually said reuse and repurpose as much as you can. And bloom where you are planted. Yes, right. she did say. Okay, till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockstation.com.